Here we are. We're live. Again. Again. All right, we're back uh, for another show on... Lockdowns. Everyone's favourite topic. What are lockdowns? I missed that. Yeah, there's some prison term, right? Where the prisoners riot and they put everyone on lockdown. Right, okay. That was the definition of the term until That's like right, yeah. 16 months ago. Right. <clears throat> until it became something much more benign, supposedly. Yes, to save lives. Safe beneath the watchful, watchful eye. lockdown of government. Yeah, so this week we're... We're basically going to be talking about lockdowns, the effect of lockdowns, the toll of lockdowns. I mean, probably most people watching this have um, experienced it. Ex- well, experienced it and know a bit about lockdowns and, well, experienced it themselves, yeah, for sure. And have read a bit about it and stuff. But we're just going to go into the details and we're going to kind of have a, <clears throat> almost like a debate, you know, in a certain sense. Uh, we'll give uh, a bit of both sides of the argument because we want to be fair and balanced, right? Indeed. And, uh, um, just to try and, try and explore, try and tease out the most likely truth of the situation and what people can maybe conclude about the whole thing. You know, not that it's over necessarily. I don't want to be uh, uh, given any promises that it's all done because we have in a few months we'll have a, a an autumn slash fall season into winter and who knows what's going to happen then. There's all sorts of talk of variants and different things like that. So... Um, we don't know what's going to happen, but certainly we'll talk about how it's progressed over the past 15 months or so. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for it and the arguments for it and the arguments against it. One argument, well, you could frame it, I suppose you could frame it in in a way, in, in the following way. You could say that um, lockdowns were an unprecedented and unwarranted attack on civil society by government and health, global health bodies. That mm-hmm. could be one argument of the debate and that could be one, that could be one side of it. Attack would be construed as very much a partisan take on it. Well, and but, they would say, would, well, okay, it was a, an unprecedented intervention in society. Well, uh, no, but... but and a necessary has, one. Well, it has to, but that's the other side of the debate. That's yeah. one side of the debate, that it was an attack. So if you imagine this was a debating society, basically, one side would be arguing for that it was an unprecedented an unprecedented, and unwarranted attack on civil society with terrible effects. And the other side of the debate would be that it was a justified response to an unprecedented Threat. health crisis mm-hmm. from a virus. And there, it was therefore necessary and it actually did a lot of good. Ultimately, it was in the public good. There's a fly bothering me. Anyway. Um, Get off. Where's my fish? Uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, we'll kind of try and tease out those, both sides of that argument. I mean, you know, I think one will be a bit more lengthy than the other. Uh, in a certain sense, because by definition, the the one against lockdowns would be has a lot of data from the lived experience of of, of billions at this point, billions of people, uh, and all the metrics from society that have been publicly, you know, have been shared mm-hmm. and made known. Whereas the argument for uh, it uh, it being a necessary response to a deadly pandemic and stuff, that's much of that is in in very uh, opaque or con, you know complicated scientific literature and the argumentation for it is even by proponents of it uh, it's it's still uh, the argument or the, the 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 case for it is still speculative to some extent because it's an it's a it's a developing situation right, right? and they don't it's a new novel virus and they don't necessarily know 
all the things we need to know. So it's a discovery process. So in one sense, there's much more data on one side than on the other, but they both have, the, both arguments can be summed up, uh, you know, equally well, I think. Yeah, and let's, let's try and frame it. How would they justify it? They would say, official, official numbers here, 3.97 million people have died from COVID, mm -hmm. in quotes. How many were saved? Yeah, well, that's by getting, the lockdowns. Uh, that's unquantifiable, right? Yeah, but that's getting that's, well. That's kind of getting ahead of us. That's the other side of the argument. Let's start off with the argument against lockdowns. Well, okay, and let's do this by uh, like listening to what some experts are saying, mm -hmm. and not what we're saying. Obviously, the title of our show is "The Terrible Toll of Lockdowns." Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so that's, we're biased. That's, we're biased. That's our take on it. Let's pull up the first bit of data. This is a recent article. Um, published in the British Telegraph June last month. Lockdowns are the single biggest public health mistake in history, says top scientist. Who is this? This is Professor Jay Batakaira. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford University. He actually told the Telegraph this in a podcast, but this article here summarizes some of his statements. If we can scroll down there a bit, Scotty. Let's see where we start. Um, see there in the second paragraph. There have been, quote, enormous collateral consequences of keeping people inside and isolating them from their loved ones during the pandemic. Telegraph here. The epidemiologist believes many scientists have clung on to the perceived effectiveness of lockdowns and they, quote, remain attached to the idea, despite, quote, the failure of the strategy. I do think that future historians will look back on this and say that this was the single biggest public health mistake, possibly of all history, in terms of the scope of the harm that it's caused. This is Batakaira one last time. Every single poor person on the face of the earth has faced some harm, sometimes catastrophic harm, from this lockdown policy. Um, also in the Telegraph, a month prior in May, there was a, a, it's a strange kind of admission of sorts. It was a bit of a, it's a mea culpa in part. I mean, the headline says enough of it, doesn't it? The use of fear to control behavior in the COVID crisis was, quote, totalitarian, admit scientists. Okay, so who are these scientists? Anyone can say that, you know, whatever. The scientist in question was on the SAGE advisory committee advising the British government right. throughout these lockdowns. Right. Okay, so let's scroll down. There's a lot in this article to unpack, but I'll go from the start. The scientists on the committee that encouraged the use of fear to control people's behavior during the pandemic have admitted their own work was, quote, unethical and totalitarian. Oops. Members of this Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on Behaviour, SPIB, express regret about the tactics. In some new book that's out about Sorry. the government's response. Oops. They claim that they warned in March last year, 2020, at the beginning of this, that ministers... Actually, this, is, this makes sense. This is the mea culpa. They are admitting 
we scientists on this committee warned the government that they needed to increase, quote, the perceived level of personal threat from COVID-19 because, quote, a substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. Mm. Well, and, and to his credit, he, he, the name is given. Gavin Morgan, a psychologist on the team, now says, clearly using fear as a means of control is not ethical. Using fear smacks of totalitarianism. It's not an ethical stance for any modern government. And he says he, he says a lot more. Let's go down, said, actually. Well, he says, by nature, I am an opti optimistic person, but all this has given me a more pessimistic view of people. Should I not give him a pessimistic view of himself? Exactly. Who's he talking about? Well, he, he, he kind of explains why he states that now uh, further, further below. Let's scroll down a bit more after this image. Um, Stay at home. Of the peons. I don't know if this is Gavin Morgan again. It could be someone else. But another scientist on this committee stated, in March last year, the government was very worried about compliance and they thought people wouldn't want to be locked down. Well, of course not. Uh. There were discussions about fear being needed to encourage compliance. And decisions were made about how to ramp up the fear. But let, let, let's, yeah. And then the way we have used fear is dystopian. Let's, so so that's... Come away from that for Their a second, yeah. But th that's interesting to, to ramp up the fear. What what did he say? I have it here in front of me. Um, yeah, um, not ethical. Blah. Okay, you should. You should I don't have it. I don't have it in front of me. But he he basically is saying that they needed to increase the fear in order to enforce compliance. Yeah. But for what purpose? Was it just for compliance? I mean, there's a kind of a disconnect there in the sense that if there was a threat to the public, they obviously decided that the public wasn't smart enough or they were too stupid to perceive that threat themselves. Yes. With and the threat was directly to them, right? Um, and it was not by, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was essentially a threat that was directly impacting them and, and, they themselves would have some measure of control over it, I suppose. I mean, in terms of looking after your own health or, you know, taking measures and precautions. But people looked at the situation, looked at the messaging from the government, looked at what was being what was being said about this about the virus, and according to these people, they were not scared enough. Yeah, because the government what didn't get the message across, or I think they did. That's the point. I think they did get the message across very well. But the problem was that people went meh. You know, a lot. We're, you know, people probably said that they would allow for some government hyperbole and uh, maybe you know whatever different agendas, whatever people might have thought. But clearly, they people who thought about it decided not to follow the rules to the strict letter of the law, new laws that were imposed, uh, and the government decided that wasn't wasn't allowed, and they had to. I mean. There's a lot of articles like this that have said the same thing, basically. Yeah. And the impression you get from it, and even from Sage, I mean, that that mention of them increasing the fear to ensure compliance is in an actual Sage document. That's an article we showed there. But you can look at the actual Sage meeting minutes, this uh -huh. government body deciding what they should do about the, in terms of imposing or, you know, uh, implementing the lockdowns. 
and they said that there was a real sense fr from it, and I think it was implicit in it, that it had to be exaggerated artificially. Yes. Increase artificially the threat. Now, they don't quite state They why. don't say that. Well, well, they don't say that, but they, well, they don't, it's, a, I suppose, it's assumed why, that there's a deadly pandemic, people are all going to die, and these stupid people don't realize that they're going to die, and we need to terrify them so that they stay at home so that they don't die. That's basically the message. Right? Okay, but if that is the message, why is it, why is there a lack of explanation in the mea culpa after? We went too far. It further says in that article, we were actually surprised, we were amazed or surprised by the extent to which people did comply once we did do our initial assessment. Okay, right. they're not taking this seriously enough. Then we terrorized them, mea culpa, but then they went too, too far. far. People, people, well, that's, that's very true. I mean, I have, I mean, I'm sure people, lots of people, maybe everybody uh, watching this and millions more people around the world uh, have personal experience of either with themselves or more likely with, given the nature of the people that tend to watch our shows, uh, or that it's more likely that it's a family member or a friend or someone they know. But I have multiple experiences in that respect of people I know who took things really, really far. Yeah. I mean, they basically, some people didn't leave their houses for months. Uh, they got groceries and food delivered to them. One family I know, even um, the parents, who weren't really in, in bad health or anything like that, but they were just in the age bracket where they were supposedly a serious from uh, in this, uh, under serious threat from from the, from this virus, uh, they stayed in their house. They they brought their daughter in, who was unmarried and was available to move into their house, and she lived downstairs. They lived upstairs, basically in their bedroom for months, and they didn't actually see her while she was living in the house with them. She was there simply to do the shopping, to buy groceries, and to make the food, and she would deliver it. What, to, to, their, the door? to their door of their oh bedroom and knock on the door and then, and and then, slink, away. Well, then slink away quite quickly in case, because she had been out shopping and she might I give brought them something. it home. Yeah. So that's, that's, for me, that's pretty extreme. That's like real, the, people took the confinement, <laughs> self-confinement uh, to a real, like really literally, you know, uh, some people anyway. And I'm sure there's other people, like I said, have, have similar stories. And that's just one example of the kind of things that people did, you know. There's an implication hanging. So that that'll be like, well, the reason I said this. That'll be an example of of them of these people in Sage in the British government thinking, uh oh, we went a bit too far. You know. Okay. Uh, if people are doing that, that's too far. And also, you know, other stuff we we'll get into in terms of the psychological or mental health effects uh, of the whole thing on on large numbers of people. And we'll well, we'll get into the details in a minute. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if this. By the way, should we just before we yeah. carry on? Uh, just on the on the chat and the, in the comments, if anybody's got any questions, maybe Scotty, you keep an eye on. If you can highlight anything that's that pops up that anybody says or anybody, you know, is worth mentioning, or if anybody's got any questions, uh, yeah. There's one here on my uncle's orders. My mother was talking to my granddad through the letterbox for months. <laughs> He's ninety years old. Oh. For months. God, the poor man. Um, there's an implication that's hanging in here. If they're saying, oops, we went too far and people bit, mm -hmm. bit too much, more than we expected, we thought we understood human psychology, oops. Mm -hmm. Are they saying, or at least was this one psychologist on the committee saying, 
the measures were unjustified. You mean you're asking is that what they're, is that what they're implying? <laughs> is that what he's implying? I, well, I think because so. Because surely, if, if there was a raging global pandemic, it w- whatever it takes to induce or scare people into come on, come on, get to it, mm-hmm. it's justified. But this guy seems to have real, real remorse at the end of it. He, he talks about this dystopian nature of it, yeah, anti-democratic, well, he, disgusted. You'd have to assume that. From that, what he's saying is that he's saying that the way people reacted to it and the lockdown, the ex- extremeness or the extreme nature of the lockdown and the way it affected people was disproportionate to the threat. Yeah. For him to, to say that. Because if it wasn't disproportionate to the threat, and he's an insider and he would know he would have access to more yeah. data than, than, than the general public about the actual nature, the actual you know, numbers and death, the actual. Uh, you know, the threat to the public health that this, that this virus posed, he would probably have that information. And when he looks at the two sides of it, it seems him and others, because it's scientists here, it's, it's members of the SAGE committee, a few of them anyway, who, who spoke out and did this mea culpa. So, yeah, you have to assume that they're saying that this was over the top. It was unnecessary, basically. Yeah. So that was one um, take on it from a top UK insider. Well, yeah. Was there another part in that about... It, where he finished that same article about him saying that psychology... Ah, yes. Can you return to that one? I think it's tab number two, Scotty. Um, we'll scroll down a bit. Oh, yes. Uh, I it see is. it now. <clears throat> Another said. He talks about yeah, the dangers of overreach and power and drive, and blah, blah, blah. We have to be very careful about authoritarianism. Well, it's a bit late for that, dude. Um, but anyway, he then said, oh, or someone else says, he anonymous. says, actually at the top, the use of fear has definitely been ethic- ethically questionable. questionable. It's been a weird experiment. experiment. Ultimately, it backfired because people became too scared. Yeah, right. Anyway. Weird experiment is definitely <clears throat> one way to describe this. And he said, another said, psychology has had a really good epidemic, actually. What does that mean? Well, I suppose it's obvious what it means. But it's it's almost like a, on a positive note, psychology, as in behavioral scientists yeah. who have spent their lives looking at at how people behave and trying how to. You know. Isn't it interesting? Gavin Morgan uh, obviously didn't mind his name being published, and uh, the quotes are t- attributed to him. Mm. This is another anonymously probably. Isn't that an interesting, different internal reaction to mm-hmm. it? Well, on the plus side, we gleaned an awful lot of interesting information yeah, from psychology, running this experiment. Psychology has had a really good pandemic, which for me that says, I mean, and I know some of them uh, directly and I know others, you know, uh, indirectly, but... Who, top insiders? Yeah. No, um, I know uh, scientific type, like career scientist types, uh-huh. and most of them, um, a lot of them, all of them labor to one extent or another in relative on some of them in absolute obscurity uh-huh. for decades in in their offices or in their labs, depending on their discipline. And they, you know, they don't get a lot of credit. The vast majority of them get no credit. And, you know, obviously in behavioral scientists uh, working for the government, be similar type people, right? They, they're not in the limelight. They're not famous. They're not, they don't get mentioned anywhere. So there's a big element of this, and this goes across all, into other disciplines as well. Uh, but in behavioral scientists, yeah, sure. The idea of a pandemic and then lockdowns in particular coming along is like a dream for these people in terms of their career and being able to put into practice on a broad scale 
with a legal mandate. Uh -huh. All of the things that they've been studying, the models, and researching and modeling for years, but never were never able to actually put into place. It's like they're like, yes, finally, you know. A lot of them have that reaction, and that's not being. I mean, maybe it is a bit uh, suspect or a bit dodgy, but it's understandable at the same time, you know. Mm -hmm. And because the same thing applies, and even more importantly, in the context of this pandemic, same same, same thing applies to epidemiologists and virologists, who likewise have labored for decades, many of them career scientists in dusty labs with no recognition and never really getting to, you know, really, <clears throat> you know, prove themselves or test their theories in a, in a, in a real, real, real world way. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that applies also to one particular career scientist who uh, is, the, who, for whom the pandemic has been a real boon. And his name is Saint Fauci. All hail Fauci. All hail Dr. Fauci. Because there's a video actually, do we have the video there, Scotty? Of this is just a couple of months before uh, the pandemic broke out. And it, oh, it's very presci prescient, I think. It's, um, that's it right there. Have a listen. Tuberculosis, an ancient disease that we tend to forget about, but it's the leading cause of infectious disease death throughout the world, 1.6, 1.8 million deaths per year. So you have malaria, tuberculosis, HIV. These are things that are there. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I aspirationally hope to be able to encounter is the ability to rapidly respond to something brand new, whether it's a brand new pandemic or as you mentioned, a brand new attack upon us deliberately by bioterror. Uh huh. And yeah. So you, can, leave, all the you can actually there. leave it there and just let's just hear him say that last bit again. It's actually queued up already, Scotty. Just keep going. Then the other thing that I aspirationally hope to be able to encounter is the ability to rapidly respond to something brand new, whether it's a brand new pandemic. That's it. So. Well, his hope came true. Well, for me, that's really interesting, you know, and it speaks... Two to months I, before. Yeah, uh, even a month or two months or whatever it was an interview did. So that speaks to what I was just talking about, yeah. about people like him who, I mean, he was... I had never heard of him before. He, no. He, he obviously was, he used to be the director of the CDC and stuff, so he did Most have Americans a bit, would bit have. Of, No, but most Americans don't pay any attention to people like that, even when they're in the position of the director of the CDC, because, you know, whatever, they're not really interested, they don't have much to say, there's nothing much they, that's relevant. Uh, to their lives but um so he's in that in that even though he was the director of the cdc he's a bit more in the limelight he's still in that uh director of nih but NIH. okay well, another, cdc before no possibly i think he was but he's been but as far as i know for decades yeah national institutes of health well, you, yeah okay so um fauci is there expressing what millions of career scientists and virologists and epidemiologists around the world uh, or probably feel as well in a certain sense, although they're not necessarily directly involved. But a lot of them were called on. A lot of them had uh, were asked to give opinions and stuff. So suddenly a lot of them were in the spotlight and a lot of their papers, a lot of their research were being consulted mm -hmm. and used. But Fauci in particular expressly said there, and he emph emphasized it in a, in, a, in a kind of bizarre way, he said aspirationally hope, which is like, you know, uh, second, one of those two is a bit redundant, right? Ask, uh -huh. Aspire to and hope, same thing. I mean, but it was for emphasis, I suppose. He yeah. aspirationally hopes 
doesn't hope for, he aspirationally hopes for a new pandemic, to be able to respond to a new pandemic. That would be my, oh, don't even get me started. I would love a new pandemic because then I would get to respond to it and all my work would just be, boom, out there. I'd be like, well, I'd, I'd, get, that, I'd get that virus, you know. I'd smack it, even though, you know, um, I'm only five foot. I've got some uh, interesting comments on the chat here. Even though I'm only five foot, I would take on that virus. What? We've got some interesting comments on the chat here. Let me scroll up and hopefully people will stop typing. Uh, one person says, my friend was mad that her husband wouldn't close their business so she made him live in the basement and left his food at the top of the stairs. Mm -hmm. And then another couple comments. A girl at work was particularly in fear and freaking out for a good while over the pandemic. I finally suggested she should turn off her TV and stop listening to it. She said, you sound like a crazy person. I said, <laughs> you sound like a crazy person. <laughs> she, she has since calmed down and realized she was overreacting. Wow. Well, yeah. Wow. I mean, those people, you can understand uh, a lot of people, at least if they come back from it, that, you yeah. know, they were subject to, to massive fear-based programming from incessant 24-7. You're going to die. You're going to die. All your loved ones are going to die. Your grannies are going to die. Your parents are going to die. You might die. Stay indoors. Lockdown. Don't go to work. You know, hands, face, and space, you know, whatever. Um yeah. So yeah, it can under, it can, it's understandable, but it's the people who, who persist in it at this point, you know, um, that they're a problem with maybe. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that. The point about Fauci there is that he's. Um, you have to understand that people like Fauci. Well, he's more of a political animal. He is. He's a particular. But, but there's plenty careerist. of other people in that same mode across different disciplines who have been given a, a new lease of life in different ways through different aspects yeah. of the actual pandemic or as a result of lockdown and they actually it's a good thing for them uh for their careers and for their sense of self-worth maybe uh you know so it's one aspect of why if you if you're wondering why the whole thing seems to be really you know they're really some people might be getting the impression that they're that they're it's being prolonged and and the fear-based programming is is they're keeping it ticking over in the background uh, when maybe it's not necessary. Well, there's probably there's personal reasons for that yeah. among some of these people. And that's just, that's just turning the psychology back on the psychologists, right? On these behavioral psychologists who, uh, who are using fear to program the population. But why would you do that if afterwards you're going to come around and say, oh, that was very bad. It was uh, some of them anyway yeah. said that that was a bad thing to do. Well, I can tell them why they did it if, if they have any kind of if they wonder about it, if they have any sense of, uh, uh, if they have any introspection or whatever, wondering why they did it, and they did it because it was interesting to them. The whole yeah. it was an experiment, like in the article, one of them said it was like a, an interesting experiment for them to conduct. So there is that divide that people have to keep in mind: ordinary people of the world who are subjected to pandemics, and the people who are who are in theory or in one way or another subjecting them to it. There's a divide between those two people. We're not all in this together, despite that slogan being parroted over and over yeah. again. It's not the same. There's differences between those two groups of people, those two, and those two different. Uh, yeah, and it speaks to why they they were reluctant to let it go. I mean, yeah. to admit mistake. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> I won't uh, threaten anything, but plenty of threats have been made about, you know, criminal culpability. That's in the air. And short of that, I, I can't see, because there's so many people who be implicated. Mm -hmm. I can't see that actually happening, although no. arguably it ought to. But uh, no, short of that, the, the, the gravy train stops. Mm -hmm. There's no more knocks on the door for interviews. And they return to that obscurity. Right. How can they go back to that after right. two years of they the limelight? They won't. A lot of them don't want to. You know? So, yeah. But let's let's get on, on to more details of, of the actual negative effects of lockdown like we, we, like we started with. Um, the next one was on our list was what? Murder rates? Yeah. And let's, let's look at this. The murder rate. The, this was not easy to get some solid data on. I mean, I actually thought wrongly, as it turns out, when this started, my first fear was, Jesus, crime is going to go up through the roof. And my thinking was, you've got people locked in one place, you, their homes typically, or in all cases. <clears throat> so you don't have the movement, the normal people movement the streets, back and yeah. forth, eyes on the streets. Right. That's going to be rampant opportunity for crime to mm. go up. In fact... Um, by all accounts, crime was down right. everywhere. And that's heavy crime. That's because it was so the program programming was so convincing that even the criminals were terrified, and they stayed at home as well. I think so. I think so. Remember, joking. there were statements from ISIS at the beginning of this, <laughs> telling their members, the brothers in Syria yeah, and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, Allah Akbar. Uh, the Western scientists have said. They don't know shit. Science it was originally from Allah, so ergo, stay at home. They, yeah, they said yeah. something similar, yeah. All so, <laughs> their seven wives all have stayed at home. Anyway. So, in general, crime is down, but for one subcategory, sub murder rate has gone through the roof. Not, it's not global though, as far as I know. Right, it's hard to find. No one really keeps track. It's, you usually only get good stats on it a year or two later. Mm -hmm. But it's clear that in the United States, the murder rate is up. Um, hmm. For a source on this, let's pull up Vox News. Ooh, awesome. This is from April, so it's I fairly recent. I love Vox News. Now, they claim in the headline that they explain it. Well, they don't really, but anyway, they, they give a good rundown of the stats. So let's scroll down a bit. And um, okay, so based on preliminary there in the data. second paragraph, based on preliminary FBI data, the US murder rate has increased by 25% or more. That's actually a low ball. There are other estimates from individual states that are talking 30 plus percent. So mm. anyway, that amounts to 20, more than 20,000 murders in a year for the first time since 1995. So it's not unprecedented for the US, but it is for, let's say, the last three decades. Um, <clears throat> the largest increase in violence we've seen since 1960. Wow. Okay. And that probably includes more than just uh, straight up murder stats. Right. Not only were murder rates up overall, they were up... Ah, this is interesting. They were up, up practically everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, for example, murder rates went up. I'm not actually reading from Vox here. I'm reading from The Economist for this stat. Murder rates increased 56% from 2019 in Chicago, 45% from 2019 in New York City. Mm -hmm. Not everywhere was that high in the US, but all the same, it was up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So... Averaging out across the United States, a 30% increase in homicide rates in 2020. 
That's from 34 U.S. cities. Hmm. So it's unique to the U.S. I think um, the left the left wing analysis of that is well, duh, guns. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. Um, never is. It never is. But I suppose access to guns is a factor because this is kind of a, a separate topic we want to discuss later. But the numbers of suicides in the US is was also up right. probably. Again, there are no central stats. But because they are so diligent with keeping an eye on gun stats, mm. they know that there was something like... <clears throat> Let's see, I have it here actually. I don't think we'll pull it up for people, but... Mass shootings? Mass shootings comes comes in a second, but I just wanted to say that they know that suicides from self-inflicted gunshots, which okay, are right. most gunshots in the United States every year, mm-hmm. were up something like 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have that. Maybe we'll touch on that later because we, yeah. we want to talk about suicide rates. So... Um, in that Vox article, it's mass shootings were up more than 40, 46% last year even as uh, high-profile mass public shootings um, yeah, that's a weird were less thing. common. It, it, I mean, there's a difference between the two. Right? The U.S. Like, was quiet. Uh, not just the U.S., but the, the media was quiet. On terrorism. Relatively, yeah. because of terrorism, seemed to fall off a cliff. And also mass shootings, it seemed, but depending on the definition you use of mm-hmm. a mass shooting, um, one that's typically used in the US is four more people are injured, not including injured or killed, not including the gunman. At that level, that broader definition, mm-hmm. mass shootings were up last year. Yeah. But you wouldn't have thought of from the media no, because, because we remember the high profile. You gloss over those in America, particularly in America, and we gloss over the kind of like the drive by gang shootings, that kind of stuff, you know, or, or people just gone crazy. But yeah, definitely th- those are up. There's, there's stats on, on mass shootings year on year over the past five or six years, and every year in the US they've gone up, like just generalized, yeah. like by that definition of four dr- or more people, whatever, they're, they're up year or on year, 20, the 20 30%. The horrific thing is a lot of them were. Don't quote me on the number, but a lot of them were where the lockdown just got too much within a home. Right. Yeah. Well, that gets into a different category, which expands the world as well, which is domestic violence. Yeah. Um, there's uh, stats on, on in, from the UK or that domestic violence. I mean, people can check this for themselves. Domestic violence uh, r- reports and, and you know events were way up and also child abuse events were way up now you can say like you know that's an evidence of bad people but you know you got to be nuanced about the whole thing is that you know people have outlets for their frustrations and their anger and, and they have a, you know a social circle that they you know that contributes to their general state of happiness and when that's taken away they become less happy and violence becomes more likely yeah. and, and violence is what well if you're feeling violent or you're feeling angry who are you going to take it out on if you're if you're locked in your house? Well, the other people in your house, right? So that's directly uh, attributable to to lockdowns for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, general rage. Yeah. Stories cover all kinds of things. The stats on this ex- extend beyond the lockdown because it's uh, stats for last year, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. It's. Is it the fault of lockdown? Well, we know what happened when the first lockdown ended in the US. Mass rioting. Mm-hmm. That was explicitly connected with... Black Lives Matter. 
Black Lives Matter, but also at the time, I remember a psychologist trying to generally the leftist media was kind of making a, an out for it by saying, well, yeah, they've been cooped up for months, mm -hmm. right? So, you Not know, that's idea. a factor. Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, fair enough, but th that has carried over in all walks of life. Um, people have people probably have stories, but brawls and queues, mm -hmm. sh just tempers are shorter than ever before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and general social behavior. There's, there's one stuff. metric that just makes it super clear. Now that people are back flying, mm -hmm. air rage. Right. Um, I've got something on this. Can we look at the tab on the FAA's stats about uh, air rage incidents? I think. Which one? Madigan News. Yeah, that's the one. The FAA has seen a significantly higher number of unruly passenger reports in 2021. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there were partial lockdowns in some states carrying over into 2021. But yeah, I don't know how we could not see this as connected to specifically yeah. being cooped up well, last a, year when they were yeah, not flying. For sure, to carry over. And it's, it's worrying because it suggests that it's permanent, it's, it has a permanent effect in yes. a certain sense. You know what I mean? Because people are now out, more or less out of lockdown and stuff in 2021, especially in the US where there's a lot more air travel and stuff, but they're still, they're feeling the effects of the previous year. Still. Yeah. And I should clarify that it, although there were, that article mentions that there were thousands of incidents just involving compliance with masks. Mm -hmm. But excluding that, the FAA has a separate stat on specific unruly passenger violations to the point where they had to be kicked off the plane or police called in or whatever. And just on their tradition, the metric they normally use, they reported a jump from... In 2019, there were just 146 air rage incidents. But... In 2021, just until the end of May, so the first five months of this year, 394. Wow. <clears throat> That's a lot. That's a huge jump. So, um, yeah, tempers are flaring. It's, it's, it's definitely lockdown related. I don't mm -hmm. see how you can say, well, they're out now and it's not connected. Um, so we covered murder rate and general mayhem. Mm -hmm. Suicides is, like we've mentioned hard to get a hard, good number on but they're definitely up. everyone has anecdotal stories I, I do as well i mean i i don't know anyone who died from covid even officially i don't know anyone who has it on the death, death certificate i know of people who kill themselves though um mm -hmm. I, it's a topic no one wants to talk about at any time because it's, it's horrible and who wants to advertise it right but um there's all the same there's a lot of circumstantial evidence mm -hmm. um Let's have a look at one here. This is the the tab marked depression, Scotty. Um, tripled, well. Yeah. Depression is tripled in the US. That's one metric. If you see there below, before the pandemic, 8.9% of US adults reported, reported being, being depressed. That's a jump to almost a third struggling. through the pandemic. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, and there's another Nature magazine. I don't think we got that one, but check the next tab. Oh, yeah, okay. This is from the Nature study. Nature did a study published much more recently. I think it's from April this year. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a meta study, so it pulled in data from a lot of different places. 
US, uh, look at that below, US adults reporting symptoms of anxiety over depression, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, almost half of the population. Wow. Yeah. And from there, you can extrapolate to suicide. I mean, mm -hmm. you can understand why they don't want to shout this too loud. I mean, there's been all kinds of fact-checking articles. Oh, you know, there's disinformation on the web about suicides going up. That's because people only had anecdotes to share, and that's what they were discussing for the most part. Mm -hmm. It wasn't fake news pushing it. It was people trying to express that something horrible had happened to people they knew, and they were sharing stories and so on. Anyway, there are some hard stats from other countries because they're not so reluctant to hit the, the, the worst information, um, the that, worst news anyone can have. That next one, suicide right there. Um, okay, so this is anecdotal from the US. Um, that's an interesting one because typically girls and women um, are, far, are far less likely to commit suicide to go the whole way it's mm -hmm. men and young boys mm -hmm. who will do that but there's a huge jump in the females uh in the united states is actually also matched in japan there they're talking now they're talking about suicidal um ideation they haven't actually committed suicide yet but nevertheless hospitals did record that that's what they were in for i presume that includes self-harm and mutilation yeah everything short of suicide that's the next financial times article FT. No, we didn't get that one. Okay, we didn't get but that I, one. Um, I do know what the, the FT reported. I have it here uh, in front of me. The FT reported that Japanese statistics show a, I think it was a 15% increase in female suicides in Japan through 2020. Similarly there, women and young girls are far less likely in general. Mm -hmm. So the, the spike affected it seemed to it's almost seemed to be an equalizer in that domain mm -hmm. um women and girls were much more affected i think yeah. by the lockdowns um finally there's one more bit of data or well, i think we just covered it there from the hill um yeah it's huge that's the cdc's own stats collecting it from american hospitals which one the the one from the hill we've already touched on it it's the previous one we looked at. Yeah, this one. If you scroll down there, um, there it is. That first statistic. ER visits related to suicidal ideation rose by 50.6%. I mean, that's an unbelievable jump. Um, wow. Okay, so how many of them actually followed through? Again, actual suicide statistics are always delayed or obfuscated in general in the west i do know though that in india they keep tabs on this mm -hmm. much more meticulously we don't have the statistics to show people here but you can look it up um india has the highest suicide rates in the world uh -huh. um it's the biggest cohort is because of farmers right subsistence farming they lose their livelihood they're done for they don't have a safety net so it's a well-known phenomenon. I think India accounts for something like a third of all suicides. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's horrifying. But in 2020 alone, and this is attributed by their own health authorities, lockdowns contributed to a 67% increase in suicidal behavior. So not out-and-out -out suicides across India. Mm. So that's the world's largest country when it comes to mm -hmm. suicides. Mm -hmm. That's a two-thirds jump 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can you can see how horrifying that picture is globally. If you extrapolate these figures out, will we yeah. ever we ever find out? Who knows? Um, Sexual assault. France24.com, we have that one? We don't have that to show, no. Okay. It was just, that, that covered both bases. It covered the, the increase in France, something like 20% uh, increase. It, again, that was hard to tabulate, though. Do mm-hmm. you know what they were having to do in France? And I think it was similar in the UK, maybe also in the US. Um, because people were under lockdown, normally, especially... W- women, battered wives, or young girls, mm-hmm. adolescents, would call hotlines mm-hmm. from home. Right. Or from the mobile, but still, mm-hmm. from somewhere discreet and private. Those calls fell off a cliff as soon as lockdown started. Why? Because the abuser was at home with them. Right. Or word could get to the abuser because right. he was in the close family network. Right. So the calls fall, it fell off a cliff. In France, I know that they set up an informal system where young girls or women would go to pharmacies and there would be a, and Spain also, I believe, and there would be a code word they give. Right. Mask 19 mm-hmm. in French. And that would signal to someone behind the desk who would get help or get a call or mm-hmm. get them some kind of help. Yeah. So a lot of that, as horrifying as some of the headlines are about the scale of domestic abuse in 2020 or because of lockdowns, mm-hmm. a lot of it could never be quantifiable. Yeah, because it had to be kept stum. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, and this doesn't even talk. We're just going to touch a little bit in the economy, but I mean, that doesn't even talk about um, what we haven't talked about. And we're not really going to get into too much because it's pretty well known. But um, as a result of lockdown, a lot of healthcare systems were partly mothballed in a certain sense. They were, a lot of staff were sent home. Uh, people were told not to come to hospital or, well, they weren't told explicitly not to come to hospital, but none of them came. And I mean, and there, was, yeah. there was a point last year where the Irish and other, uh, Irish Prime Minister and other leaders of other countries had to explicitly go on TV and tell people that if they were feeling ill, that they should go to hospital because people were not turning it up, up at hospital. But on top of that, that, that was, you could blame that on the people. Well, ultimately it's because of government uh, uh, fear messaging that people stayed at home and didn't go to hospital and just died at home when they had a chest pain, for example, and, and didn't get to hospital. But um, through the through the way that the different governments um, manage the health care system, i.e. limiting it to, um, well, through the messaging and people not going to hospital and also by sending a lot of staff home and turning people away when they did come. But they uh, completely retooled yeah. the primary healthcare system. Right. Which is, okay, I have a complaint. What do I do first? I call my GP. Right. What happens at that point? My GP goes, hmm, I'll call a specialist. Right. At that point, okay, come to hospital. No. So those normal gateways were just folded over. Right. You're not allowed to go to hospital anymore. But they were telling people to go to hospital as well. But that was only after the fact whenever they realized that people who were actually in, in severe need, what they were basically saying was that people... Only people in severe need should go to hospital because even they weren't going. Yeah. But everybody else, and here we're talking, my point is that cancer screenings and heart checkups and all that kind of stuff, there's, there's a, we'll put links in the show description afterwards, but uh, 10 million cancer screenings missed. Where? Just uh, in one country? I think in the US. 
10 million, yeah. And in the US alone. What's the discovery rate? Usually a third? I mean, it's hard, something, hard to something, quantify. Something but high, a significant yeah, so, portion of those but then will be positive. Right, but then the delay in that screening means an increase in, in deaths and then being untreatable on. or not being treated in time and people dying. So those are all kind of unquantifiable, but you can certainly assume that when it's 10 million in the US, when it's 2 million in the UK, and some, uh, maybe a bit less in France and in most other countries, you had, at least Western countries, you had this, this uh, situation unfolding where people were basically not getting primary health care and... A lot of that stuff's missed, so you can work that out. I mean, when you're talking about millions of people, <clears throat> you can say that there's going to be a large number. But if you even put it at 1%, it's probably a lot higher. Put it at 10%. 10% of a million, 100,000 people. That's... Uh, They're locked in deaths. Well, you know, that's down the line as well. Okay. You know, because it's, it's... There are people you know, missed now who might have been saved five have, years hence. Right, or, you know, who... who yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the, it's all put on the long finger, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. put, put down the road type of thing, and it can be then the, the, the numbers can be are far enough away from lockdown or from that event to actually attribute it to them, but they are actually attributable to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So economics? Economics will go through quickly. I, uh, inflation is up. Everyone knows that. I mean, the, the, there's a, a obvious price rise in certain goods. Um, foods, meat is going is going up and up and up. Um, lumber, and lumber, lumber is a particular one. Okay, so wood. So how did that happen? Well, that's something that was warned by us and plenty of others at the time. You're going to break supply chains. You close certain businesses if you if you just close all of them, not just the front end, the stores you go to to buy the end products. Mm -hmm. If you close all of them, there's going to be these backlogs. Some of those backlogs will never. Return. There'll be mm -hmm. bottlenecks that are. Cl uh, they're not just temporary bottlenecks. Mm -hmm. That well, it goes all the way back, basically, from yeah. the people who order the, the raw materials who then make them and stuff. They stop doing that, and there was a certain period where, in in, in many countries, were uh, government projects as well, which are the, the, you think would be the last things to be shut down, like all private projects, building projects and stuff, were 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 stopped. But even government projects were stopped. Yeah. So there's a massive amount of materials that would normally have been purchased and used that weren't being purchased and used. So they weren't being purchased by the stores that supply them. And then the manufacturers kind of stopped buying the raw materials and, and so on. And it's not easy to restart that just like that because people, they're, they're saving, they're, they're focused on their bottom line. They're not going to make an order for the normal amount of stuff that they order because nobody's buying it, so they don't make that order. And then to, to kickstart, and if that lasts for months and months and months, it's it's not easy to kickstart it again, you know? Yeah. And especially if a lot of businesses who would actually supply them have gone out of business. You know, the, the front-end businesses, smaller ones have shut down. There's, there's going to, across, you know, large countries, there's a lot of reduction in actual demand as a result of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Just one one last thing on inflation, actually, before we talk about, I'll go back to closed businesses. Um Officially, it was up 5% year on year for 2020. For anyone who knows who remembers like decades of neoliberal monetary policy, the one thing that central bankers constantly hammered on about, and it was drilled into us at university, everyone knows this, it's, it's economics 101, keep inflation down, 
mm. 2%, 3% max. At that point, you need to start raising interest rates to cool the economy. Mm-hmm. And they have their theoretical reasons for why that's important. It's, it's, the point is it's doctrine. Mm-hmm. Last year, that doctrine just went out the window. Right. La, la, la. They didn't, didn't even figure in. And so by the official figures... Inflation was up 5%. I suspect real inflation was up way higher in 2020 and it's still going up. Anyway, so that's just a side note. On, on the real impact on the streets, um, the next one I want to show up, um, Scotty, I think it's the tab, Closed Businesses. Who is this from? This is from Fortune. Uh Okay, so this is by September last year. Nearly 100,000 est- establishments that temporarily shut down are now out of business. Okay. That means that, well, it's not clear what that means because that happens all the time anyway. Year on year, 100,000 or more can can close down and 100,000 more can be started. This is 100,000 extra, I'd say. I think it's extra. I, I couldn't get that clear from, from that article. If you go to the next tab, this clarifies it. Sixty percent of those business closures of the hundred thousand, mm-hmm. according to Yelp's data, are, are permanent. permanent. Yeah. They are gone. Mm-hmm. They're not coming back. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing that's is, an that's, an, that's an enormous swathe of the thing is that's been that's been massaged, or the effect of that has been mitigated by in different countries by especially in Western countries, by government help, basically, for individuals and for businesses, you know. But people, even those businesses that went out of business progressively, they were getting help so that people didn't mind closing their business and moved into something else or something. But even people who lost their jobs um, were getting stimulus checks. Even like Scotty got a stimulus check. I don't think he cashed any of them because he wanted to frame them, right? Do you, did you get stimulus checks? Yes, I did. And what did you do with them? Did you buy... Uh, I... Uh... I, I bought all Bitcoin. You bought Bitcoin. No, Good job. I didn't. That were, there were some pretty big <laughs> stimulus checks. You bought two Bitcoins with your stimulus checks. Uh, I, I bought zero point zero 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 one Bitcoin. Right. Well, that's more. Still, you know, it's going to go to five billion dollars. I think this time next year. So you'll be you'll be a millionaire by then. Yeah. When it started, I predicted doom on this score. But you're right. They actually rolled out the safety net. Yeah. But to what? unbelievable extent. In the UK, like 80% the workforce. of the workforce were being paid by the government for Some large salaries. stretches of the whole of 2020, yep. up to 80% of their salary. Yep. And then they had the reverse problem. This is psychology 101. A lot of them didn't want to go back to work right. after that. Yeah. Can I have free money too? Now, people suffered in the West, but the squeeze, the real squeeze is surely on non-Western countries right. that also went full lockdown. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we can touch on that briefly later, about gl- the effects of global poverty. Well, we'll get to that next. Yeah, do that, Just maybe. before we do, uh, while what was 60% of 100,000, 60,000 small businesses in the US were wiped out for good last year, the wealth transfer upwards was crazy the record high let's go to the next tab i think it's um called that wealth transfer this is from jim kramer of nbc he said it and look at the date on that that was by june last year that was that the metrics on that were 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 clear the first lockdown alone 
was at least one of the greatest wealth transfers in history. There's no reason to believe that trend didn't continue through the what he describes there as the V-shaped recovery. Yes, indeed, the U.S. economy came back from that first lockdown, but uh, the picture was completely changed. And that's borne out, especially in the next article. Um, no, it's not. Uh, oops. No, maybe I didn't include it. Anyway, it was the, <clears throat> an article from The New Yorker. Um, maybe it's the one preceding that? Uh, no, nope, that's an image. That's an image, okay. Anyway, um, indeed, it's Wall Street profits had their record year mm-hmm. in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, okay. to be expected, I suppose. Globally, globally, right from the, from, right from the very... March last year, the UN was warning about the impact on the non-West. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's going to be a safety net rolled out for, for the West. What about everywhere else? I'm not sure. There are so many different... This, this, the, the, the stats range from like 130 million people up to half a billion, depending on whether you're listening to the World Bank, the UN, or the UK government's own report about the numbers of people who will be pushed into poverty by lockdowns. Um. I'm a tad suspicious about the readiness with, with which they were reporting that so early. Um, I'm perhaps I'm perhaps that's misplaced, mm-hmm. but I was wondering about it because uh, the kind of call was being made immediately, and I think moves were made in this direction for massive wealth transfer. There was something afoot as part of, oh, it's going to be bad here, but it's going to be really bad over here. So let's get all these funds to the World Bank, et cetera, IMF, and we'll just redistribute it properly. So you had this, I mean, for argument's sake, let's say Wall Street didn't conspire in any way here. Mm -hmm. They got the single biggest wealth transfer because of the circumstances mm-hmm. of what happened. Yeah. Everyone stayed at home and they went on Amazon mm-hmm. or Netflix. Right. And those companies, whew, and went up. Spending far more time on the internet, subscriptions on the internet for all different, uh, you know, new services or for different uh, services online, basically, that they were, because they were stuck at home. Yeah. But when it comes to um, some of these global claims and programs, Oh, look, maybe I shouldn't be suspicious. <clears throat> I just can't help think the, the Great Reset and w- whatever they were trying to do with um, wealth redistribution programs. You know, oh, well, don't forget that 200 million people are about to go into poverty too. This justifies X, Y, Z, you know. Anyway, I don't doubt that the effects in the West were bad. They were worse elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, we have to wait and see. Uh, yeah. Just how bad. Um, we touched on the next one already in terms of the the cost in terms of other illnesses that were neglected by this extreme focus on COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, the statistics on this are as yet, obviously, there's never going to be a frank... As soon as there's a frank investigation, a, a simple calculation, it's 
it's straight away it's going to it's going to beg for investigation and mm-hmm. it'll be like never again mm-hmm. so there'll never be a, a straightforward mea culpa on this but uh, a number of experts have been pointing out and keeping track on specific areas throughout this so this next one we're going to look at is from carl hennigan in the spectator um <clears throat> so he published this recently um Carl Hennigan is a professor of evidence-based medicine at Oxford University. He's been an advisor to the UK government. Now, they pretty much shut him out, but he was also advising the Irish government, basically on the, for God's sake, be cautious side from the beginning of this. In the end, he's now he's, I don't know if he's, he's, he's writing articles in Spectator. I doubt they take him seriously anymore. But he did keep some numbers um, he did keep track of some numbers. You see there, I've highlighted. He's got that since the pandemic, we've had 28,200 more deaths among diabetics than we would normally have had. For heart disease, 17,000 more. For dementia and Alzheimer's, 22,000 more. Right. So this is, I suppose, he's taking the excess death rate year on year and homing in on the specific spikes and what these metrics tell us are the extent to which the focus on COVID-19 mm-hmm. and saving lives, remember, mm-hmm. lost so many lives well, that's 70, in these other areas. That's in the UK. That's, uh, in actually, the UK that's actually in, well, it's maybe just England, but it's if it's the UK in general, it's, it's almost 70,000 people. And the total you know, deaths from COVID are you know, about 120 or something like that. So that's like about almost, was well, two-thirds of the so-called COVID deaths. Right. Uh, from just three other illnesses. From, yeah, uh, were caused by lockdowns. And that's just those particular details. That doesn't include other other deaths caused by, because there's dementia patients and, and the... The shutting down of, the, of primary health care and all that kind of stuff that caused a lot of deaths. There's another report from, I don't know if it's Carl Hennigan, but in the, in the uh, British Medical Journal uh, last year that there was out of um, 30,000 uh, deaths in care homes, and most of those are dementia patients, uh, 20,000 were not, tri- not attributable to an excess of 30,000, 20,000 were not attributable to, in, uh, to, to COVID in April and May, I think, last year. I was just in two months, uh, and that had to be because of lockdown. Because April and May were the two major, well, March into April and May were the yeah. major lockdown months. So yeah. that's another twenty thousand. So you're up to ninety thousand deaths that are not a trip, excess deaths, that, uh, and primarily probably amongst older people and vulnerable older people, the ones who are meant to be saving. There's up to at least by those short few statistics, and that's not a complete, uh, um, you know, totaling of them. You've possibly ninety thousand excess deaths not attributable. Attributable to COVID, but attributable to, to lockdowns, right? And that's just that. Like I said, that's not a, a final tally, right? It's it, it's begging for someone to do this. I mean, we to. don't have the time. Not allowed to Neil. To, to do it, but for the sti- for the statistics fiends out there, I mean, you could get two tables. Okay, there's your official numbers of deaths from COVID. Mm-hmm. This is the official. From let's say let's agree on a, a set of the most common killers uh, or the worst killers above mm-hmm. the rate of mortality that COVID has. Let's just stick with those. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So basically, I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, there's a few other bits and pieces, but I think that gives a good overview of, of the kind of nefarious effects of, of, of lockdown, the really terrible effects of lockdown. And um, all of them, the argument, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, for lockdowns would say that all of those deaths, and, they, and again, again, they haven't been totaled by any official government or public uh, sources. They haven't presented in that way, but we're presenting it, uh, th that data, and it's, like I said, it's not complete. But even if that was presented, I mean, I suppose any time that argument raises its head, the counter-argument is that um, they were all necessary and even any deaths, therefore, were acceptable or necessary, the, ones, the deaths we have detailed, were necessary because this was a deadly pandemic and lockdown was necessary to protect people, even though, as we've just said, it killed an untold large number of people, directly and indirectly. It was necessary to protect much greater deaths, a much greater number of deaths from SARS-CoV-2, that there would have been a lot more. Um, of course, we go back to, at this point, we got to modelling and Imperial, Imperial College modelling, where they initially, your guy Ferguson, uh -huh. um, government scientist type guy who put out uh, at the beginning of the pandemic said that if we didn't lock down, there'd be 500,000 deaths in the UK. Uh, in fact, I think he was saying that there would be 5,000 anyway, because he, he's been roundly kind of, you know, dissed for saying that because... The deaths only amount by the end of last year they only amounted to about ninety thousand or ninety or hundred thousand, so he was at least five times uh, out of out of whack, out off off uh, off the mark. Yeah. So that uh, flies bothering me. Uh, so, um, but then that, the that would seem to be that he was saying that, that this was going to happen anyway. Expect these deaths, you know, and it fueled lockdowns and it also his his modelling informed like different countries to do the same thing, including America. So it was like that, supposedly that alarmism. That's what, that was the narrative anyway, that his, his and other, the modelling by him and other people, uh, which were telling of, you know, in America, telling of two million dead and all this kind of stuff, um, was what motivated severe and harsh lockdowns. But it proved that those deaths didn't happen. Anyway, even, and he was saying that, that they would happen even with lockdown. So he was proven wrong. So modeling, obviously, on that score, in terms of um, uh, that, that's a, a chink in their or a dent in their argument, uh, at least f from the very beginning, that this was a horrible, deadly virus that was going to kill scores and scores of people. Um, because obviously it didn't, even with lockdown. So, yeah, um, yeah well, yeah, and go ahead. Another one, obesity. Right. Um, but, Scotty, you were saying that something like the average American has put on how many pounds or did last year in the first lockdown? I don't remember. I remember reading an article. I think it was something like 27 pounds, something crazy like that. It was just just from lockdown and being, you know. I guess sedentary and watching too much Netflix or something. I don't know how accurate that was. That was just like I don't right. even remember where I read it. It was it was some it was some mainstream news site, and they just said, "Oh yeah, the average American put on X number of pounds," and it was twenty some. And I went, mm -hmm. and of course, what's one That's of the bad. key comorbidities with COVID? Obesity, right? Talk about pro cyclical, right? 
that's in all of the all of the literature and all of the of the underlying conditions, as they call them, uh, is obesity is big, 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 big in, in all of the in, in the list top of all the lists are up there and all of the lists along with uh, you know other very common underlying uh, health conditions. If we go to um, on that point, if we go to the MSN article, I think you should probably have it. It's uh, MSN. Uh, Not, no, next one. There we are. No. Well, that that one will do. All disease models. That's what I was talking about. All disease models were tested and failed massively. That's from the American Institute of Economic Research. That's just pointing out the fact that all the models at the beginning that hystericized supposedly governments into imposing harsh lockdowns were completely wrong. Sometimes by a factor of ten. If you just go to the next one that addresses the point about underlying conditions. The CDC itself, and this has been talked about uh, for a while and debunked by various fact checkers and all that kind of stuff that. Um, the CDC came out uh, late last year and said that six percent of only six percent of the uh, uh, of deaths of the total COVID supposed COVID deaths only six percent of them actually died of COVID. What they're saying basically is that, as it says, there ninety four percent had underlying conditions. And that's a big bone of contention, right? right. Whether or not <clears throat> uh, COVID is responsible for the death of people with underlying conditions. Um, yeah, there's actually well maybe I'll. Maybe try and get into it a little bit. Um, there's an there's an interesting study published by Fauci's National Institute of Health, so it's definitely fact checked, definitely approved, right? I think it's the next tab, maybe is it? Not that one. Okay, well, nope. we'll stop on that one. That just backs up the other one. Ninety nine percent. So in the US, ninety ninety four percent of of patients had underlying conditions. In in Italy, ninety nine percent of those who died from the virus had other illnesses. Now, that just, just left like that. They had other illnesses, as if that's... People can draw their own conclusions from that. But just go to the next, artic next article, yeah. <clears throat> so this is the Fauci National Institute of Health. Causes of death and comorbidities in hospitalization patients with COVID-19. Um, now, they basically... The interesting thing about this study is that they took 26 people who were confirmed COVID deaths and they did an autopsies on them. Like, autopsies are the gold standard. If you want right. to know what killed someone... You have to autopsy them, right. ultimately, really, if you want to be absolutely sure. So they took only 26 people, but still, there were 26 people who died in German hospitals, <coughs> and a bunch of people, <coughs> excuse me, autopsied them. And uh, this is very much a pro-COVID uh, is a deadly disease yeah. article, if you, if you read it as a, a study. They basically are saying that, um, well, what they, they, they go down through it and... Uh, there's no point in going down. If I can read it here, actually, the, they say the majority of disease patients in their study had had diagnosed comorbidities, uh, and they talk about hypertension, that's uh, high blood pressure, chronic kidney or heart disease, chronic pulmonary disease, and that kind of thing. But they also say that their findings, I mean, and they just say this basically that their findings, their findings indicate that the immediate causes of death were directly linked to lung damage initiated by SARS-CoV-2 infection and not related to pre-existing health conditions and com comorbidities in most cases. So here they're drawing that conclusion that they're not related to them. They, if you read it, they don't know, they don't explain the rationale in saying that because previously they go through the fact that pretty much all of these patients had serious underlying, multiple serious underlying health conditions, yeah. including um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, actually like very weak, you know, damage to a large extent lungs. But that if a person with COPD has long-term COPD, difficulty breathing, needs oxygen a lot, if they get the virus, if they come in contact with SARS-CoV-2 and then they die, 
It's SARS-CoV-2 that killed them. Um, and not their long-term COPD. Yeah. Now, that's fine if you want to say that. But if you say that, then for all the deaths among the elderly over the past forever, decades, every winter, primarily amongst the elderly, yeah. sometimes younger people, but primarily amongst vulnerable and elderly people who die in hospital as a result of the flu, complications with the flu. You have to go back or you have to, you can't go back, I suppose, but from, from going forward now, the flu has to kill an awful lot of people yeah. that were never killed by the flu before. Because before 2020, if someone with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease for, for the past 10 years came into hospital and, and died as a result of, you know... Catching something lo- while there. Well, no, died of lung failure, you know, basically yeah. stopped breathing and died, you know. Um, it was, if, if they were known, and they would have been known as, as having COPD for 10 years, it was COPD that killed them. They wouldn't even... They would never investigate. They wouldn't even mention the flu. They would know that they probably got the flu. Because this is the thing about the flu. All these comparisons between SARS-CoV-2 and the flu, the flu was never analysed in the way SARS-CoV-2 was before. So you can't draw any conclusions. Yeah. All they ever did with flu was estimate the number of people who died each year from the flu. They never did any, any serology tests or any PCR tests or anything like that to find out if an elderly person who came into hospital with any number of different issues like chronic, like high, high blood pressure or arthrosclerosis or, you know, coronary artery disease or kidney failure or anything like that, if they had these chronic Ill- illnesses and if they died in winter of kind of had to put, put in a ventilator, had to be put in a ventilator, ventilator and then died of, you know, basically they stopped breathing, they basically just gave up, their lungs gave out. But if they had chronic heart disease, that was the cause of death. Yeah. And flu would probably never be mentioned. And they wouldn't be able to mention flu because they would never do test. an autopsy or any kind of a test, even PCR test, to find out if they had an influenza virus in them at the time of death. Yeah. Doctors, anecdotally, or to each other, or in the hospital, would say, yeah, the p- flu probably killed them. <clears throat> and doctors have said this all for, for decades. They called the flu the old man's friend. Without knowing for sure that they had it, they <clears throat> looked at the, the, the symptoms and said, yeah, the flu, the flu did him in. He was 85 years old. He had long-term health conditions. He came to hospital with breathing difficulties and he passed away in the night. Uh, and the flu breathing. was an act of mercy. And the flu put him over the edge. That, yeah. that viral load on top of his immune system, which was already compromised uh, for a long time, was enough. It was a way out, basically. Yeah. And that's what they did. And flu, no, certainly not in the death certificate, and just assumed, well... His major underlying condition was is what killed him. That was totally upended in 2020, directly by missives from the World Health Organization and then the CDC to recategorize. And the, well, just going back, they could not ever put the flu down as a cause of death on a death certificate in those cases, even though by today's standards with SARS-CoV-2, it should have been put down as a cause yeah. of death because that's the way in this article I'm talking about in the NIH they're, they're basically saying no SARS-CoV-2 did it. even if they had uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease it was SARS-CoV-2 that killed them right uh, they should have in the past always put down flu as the underlying cause of death uh, or one of the one of the underlying causes or whatever yeah um, but they couldn't do that because flu was never categorized as an uh, 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 officially recognized, uh, identifiable disease, basically, or a recognized disease. I can't remember what the actual term is, but it's basically it didn't have its own code as a disease that would kill people. Influenza. Okay. This last year, SARS-CoV-2 was immediately upgraded to a 
nationally identifiable or nationally notifiable disease. So that NMD, there's a code basically. that they could put on the death certificate. Give a code and it can be the only thing that killed you. It can be, and it's elevated and doctors across the world basically were told, listen, SARS-CoV-2, deadly, it, it killed people. If you see someone, and, and you can look back, we published these at the time, I published them on Facebook and, and we probably talked about them at the time in previous shows, where doctors were actually told, or physicians who were filling in death certificates were told explicitly, if you have a patient with one, two, three, serious comorbidities, 85 years old, above life expectancy, not long to live. If you, find, if you do a PCR test or if you find evidence of, even if you don't do a PCR test, but if you do a PCR test, PCR test and you detect SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2 goes on the death certificate. And also, um, even if we don't do a PCR test, if the clinical symptoms, leave it right. up to your judgment doctor, if you reckon... It matches COVID nineteen symptoms. Done. It's it's incredible. This and there seemed to be a scrounging for. Yeah. Well, they justify that. COVID nineteen. They deaths. justify that by by tracking and it. They wanted doctors to do that to track this virus to see where it was going. That's what they said. That was a weird thing. They really, really wanted to track this virus. As and you could, you could think that that was understandable. If they were under the impression that it was a deadly pandemic that could sweep the world and wipe out half the world's population, so we've got to find out where it's going so we can lock it down and stop it from doing anything. But uh, it was very well, it was known even from from Chinese studies at, uh, at the beginning, because China was supposedly where it started, right? Yeah. Uh, Chinese scientists published studies and it was pretty clear, it was definitely uh, easily inferred from Chinese studies that this was a virus that was primarily dangerous to the elderly, the elderly, vulnerable, and immunocompromised. Yeah. Uh, so, and furthermore, that the case to fatality rate was low. Yeah. So why do you want to, it? Basically, at that point, even though it has a high error, it's not really high. It's not. It's actually slower in transmission, but it's it is does have a worse effect than the flu on people who are vulnerable to it and where it reproduces and replicates within them and their immune system can handle it. It does have a worse effect than the flu, but it's still not in the category of something that's going to wipe out half the population. So why do you want to follow it then? Why do you want to up, upgrade it to a nationally notifiable disease so that you can track it and force doctors to put it down and all the rest of it so, so we can find out where this thing is when you know already that it's pretty much in the same category as the flu, even though it may be two or three times more deadly among the people who are susceptible to flu and other flu-like viruses. That's still not a big number because flu deaths every year, again, they're estimated, they don't know, but they're very small. They've never been an issue. The flu, de flu deaths are seen like we talked about before. Old man's friend, nobody really cared about it. It's an easy way out. It's, and sometimes it's a blessing. So if this is something that's like so insignificant, well, as two or three times as significant as the flu, which is very insignificant, according to governments and mm -hmm. around the world and always has been, why do you go DEFCON 1 on it? Yeah, it costs all this damage. And, and cause all the damage that we've just talked about. Um, yeah, so... But just on that point, actually, there's one more point I want to add to that, and it's, a, it's a, the Yahoo link there, Scotty, if you can just pull it up. Um, this is something that should be remembered as well. Um, oh, I saw this before, yeah. And this is just one of Not several Italy. studies, Italy, France, Israel, Israel, Iran. in the US as well, as we talked about last yeah. week, uh, in many different places, at least six months 
before lockdown was imposed in Western countries. It was in Western countries. Now you tell me, how long does it take for a virus to spread once it's in the population? Let's go to the next one. Well, let's look at the National Geographic. Go to the next, uh, next screen there, Scotty. How did coronavirus spread so far so fast? Go down a little bit. One thing we know about this mysterious pneumonia-like illness dominating world headlines, it moves fast. Starting in a food market in central China, the new strain of coronavirus moved to the nation's major cities, jumped from borders to new jumped borders to neighboring countries and has now shown up on the west coast of the US all in three weeks. That's fast. That's around the world. That's fast. In three weeks. But it was in Italy in, 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 in September and France and Israel. Last September. So if it spreads, how long does it take to spread among the population? And if it's, I mean, it's sure, certainly it's spreading among the Chinese population if it's in, in, in a short period of time, and then within three weeks it's moved which direction, I don't know which direction, but it seems it came kind of east, maybe, because a lot of travel maybe between China and Europe, and uh, and then spread that way across west, uh, sorry, came west westwards to, into, into Europe and, and into America uh, in three weeks. So once it's there, then how long does it take to spread around the population? Similar, moves similarly fast, right, among... Among, among the population under no lockdown conditions, right? September. Like wildfire. Right, so where were all the, where were all the people dropping dead and hospitals inundated? Between September between and September March. at least and March last uh, 2019 and 2020. Why didn't, that, why didn't that happen? And more to the point, bring it up to today. I don't know if anybody knows that there's a, a European national football championship going on and uh, we've been playing in different countries around Europe some stadiums are kind of more or less empty some of them are half full, some of them are almost full Wembley the other day in a big stadium in London for an England match had 60,000 people in it, uh, most of them relatively young people and UK only has about a 60% or so vaccination rate most of them amongst the elderly population so it's fair to say that at least 50% of the people in that stadium, of the 60,000 people in that stadium had not been vaccinated and they won so they were very happy, kissing, spitting, licking, whatever their English hugging, people, whatever English people do eat to each other at football matches, knowing, right? knowing on each other. So surely we should see after that. That's a super spreader event. That's like that's not super spreader, but that's an event where cer- certainly this deadly virus and the Delta variant that's on right now is a perfect petri dish to see that half of these people at least are going to be in serious difficulty any day now. Yeah. I mean, let's give them a couple of weeks. It's been a few days, so give it a couple of weeks. We should see a big spike in cases inundating hospitals, wherever those... I mean, probably a lot of them are from the London area as well. You know, there's 11 million people in London. Uh, we should see a big spike in London for sure. It's a good, a good good, test case, you know, but obviously you can tell by the way I'm talking that that's I'm not pretty happen. sure that's not going to happen. It so, was happening after the first lockdown. <clears throat> when the first lockdown was eased and certain mass gatherings, let's say of a less approved nature were taking place, protests, some protests, not all protests are equal, but some of them, there were big headlines. Oh my God, all these people, super spreader events. Well, they're going to drop dead. It'll serve them right for getting out there and mixing you 
were told what the science is, you were told what to do about it, and you didn't follow the rules, and now you're all dead. Yep. Or at serious risk of some serious illness. Right. Over and over and over again. But it's interesting, yes, by now, let's say an approved event, the bread and circuses are coming back online, the UEFA football championship. Mm-hmm. The media is not haranguing these people about that because while well, vaccine uptake is going well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this misuse of science, this rank abuse of science. I mean, <clears throat> not just in the, in the immediate present of the last 16 months, but going forwards, like, is this what we have to look forward to? Like the work you've done to bring us to that question of tracking things, of reading the NIH study, of having to, of having to infer from the words what they're not saying. What they're not saying is that to get those twenty-six autopsies to say what it should say, mm-hmm. according to the COVID science, mm-hmm. they had to redo the assumptions that went into all the science on epidemiology and the spread of viruses before right. that. That's this abuse of science and. It, they tout it like it's so it's logical it's logical it's rational the science says look don't be such backwards peoples mm. just okay if you it's too complex for you so just follow us on it well we have we have followed your logics we've followed your scientific arguments and you changed the science in march 2020 you changed fundamental assumptions to make well actually to borrow the term from a previous year to make the facts fit around the policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, well that's done. that's our conclusion, I suppose. That there's that it's you know in this in this pseudo debate uh, we've been having. I mean, we didn't present an awful lot of data, but there isn't an awful lot of data from the side of the pro lockdown, uh, deadly pandemic <coughs> side. Uh, it's pretty well known what they say. It's a deadly pandemic. Uh, look at all the people who have died and stuff. But we've delved into that and shown, like I just said, in, in, in a few cases, and that continues to this day that the vast majority of people who, who die from this virus are uh, el- vulnerable and elderly and immunocompromised people who have a very short life expectancy anyway and are most of them at or above life expectancy age. <clears throat> so if the idea is, I would like to know if the idea is that those people should not ever die. I'm not saying they should not be treated uh, you know, well in their in their in their ill health. <clears throat> but never before now have they been treated in that way. It's been assumed that people once they reach a certain age or in a certain uh, you know that in a certain in a certain health condition, like a bad health condition, that you don't go above and beyond to keep them alive, you know, uh, that there's natural force at work here and people, everybody has to die. It's like a, a kind of joke with people, you know, um, uh, at, you know, to kind of remind people that at 80 years old, your chance of death are significantly higher than they are at 60. Uh, <clears throat> and at 90 years old, your chance of death are higher than at 80. And at 100 years old, your chances again are higher than they are at 90. And that once you reach 200 years old, your chance of death are really, really, really high. Astronomically high. Yeah, and that it has to happen, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that this virus, all while it is more dangerous, uh, again, to those 
vulner, particularly vulnerable people, more dangerous than the flu. It's not massively more dangerous than the flu. And I don't understand why there has been this massive shift in an effort to to stop people who are in at, in end of life scenarios just to tend to stop them from dying. Yeah, especially uh, now that we know, and to stop them from dying in the way that they want to stop them from dying, which is apparently it requires the lockdown of society and all of the punitive and um, destructive measures that come with lockdowns and the effects that they have, the negative effects they have on on the on Everything. The, rest, the rest of the population. There are other psychological effects we didn't touch on, but children's development, yeah. children in schools, right. the isolation, the face masks, wearing them all day. We've seen them here on the streets. You know, school, school's out, school's broken up. They're, yeah. they're free now, kids. You don't have to. Um, also, you don't have to wear them outside. That mandate's been lifted where we are. They still have the thing hugging, just dirty mask hugging their mm-hmm. face. Young infants need imprint there's a certain imprinting phase you know, yeah. they have to see the adult's face it's a critical for development mm-hmm. um yeah so i don't know um it doesn't make sense when you look at it in depth it really doesn't make sense and the argument that it's a deadly pandemic that requires those kind of extreme lockdowns uh doesn't 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 fit doesn't doesn't add up basically and especially in the context of previous the previous way that governments and health authorities responded to yeah. these kind of viruses. And again, yes, it's a novel virus and you can allow some wiggle room at the beginning where they freaked out and they thought it might be very deadly, but then to continue it on for so long and continue it on into now into an, a second year almost, we're almost at 18 months. And if they continue it on this fall, it's like, it's, it's against all reason, you know? And it can't be just because people are dying. You have to stop people dying. Well, how many people are dying? Which people are dying? Did you ever care that those people were dying before? Did governments ever care that those people were dying before? Is it normal or natural for those people in those conditions to die? If you really want to stop those people dying, why would you lock down the rest of the healthy population? These are you know, mostly you know, frail, vulnerable people. If you really want to, you know, unlike what you've ever done before, if you really want to stop those people from dying, you should put them in bubbles and keep them closeted away and their carers. And leave the rest of society to... I know people have said this repeatedly and you never get an answer to it as to why you lock down the healthy rather than uh, the, the ill who are vulnerable. Yeah. Nobody ever answers that question. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of questions that haven't been answered and it's a bit disturbing that those important questions that go to the heart of the issue that haven't been answered for 18 months almost, that some of them you're not actually allowed to ask. Why would you not be allowed to ask a question that no, people repeatedly don't want to answer? Well, the answer is in the question, right? They yeah. don't want answered, so you can't ask it because it's, I don't know, because you don't like the answer. I don't know. We are left to speculate. When people don't provide information to you, to legitimate, reasonable questions, well, then you... you you can't be you can't blame people for then coming up with their own theories. If you don't want people to come up with conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. give them answers. Give them proper answers to legitimate questions, and make sure that your answers make sense. Because people aren't stupid, you know. I, I mean, because there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't require you to be an epidemiologist or whatever. It simply requires you to have a 
have a brain, be able to look around you and to draw conclusions from, from basic data. You know, and people are doing that and, they're, and that's provoking questions that are not being answered. Yeah. So, yeah, I have my uh, pineapple shirt on today, as you may have noticed, in honor of the 4th of July. Party time. Because this is so much America, right? Pineapple is a national, <laughs> national fruit of America, isn't it? One of Hawaii. Close enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Today is July 4th, so happy 4th to our American listeners. To American listeners, and, well, and to Yay. all non-American listeners as well, no? Because, I mean, by extension. Today is our Independence Day. We're all part of America. <clears throat> yes, the American no way. We're part of the American way. Um, on that note, um, well, in the UK, actually, the last few weeks, well, few months, anyway, been massive protests. British media doesn't touch them. Like, how many? At least a million. They look like the biggest crowds since the Iraq War protests in February '03, and there were over two million at that. Police helped count them. They don't count anymore, so they don't report. But that's how they're protesting in in the UK. That's that's heartening to see against the lockdowns, basically. In the US, they have their own unique styles so we're going to play, play out the show with some footage from july 4th last year after la county mandated that fireworks were banned for the day because of coronavirus <laughs> that's only they explained why they were just banned that night um people in la had a little celebration so on that note we'll say goodbye and uh Thanks for, watching. Thanks for watching and don't forget to subscribe and like and comment. That's uh, pretty important for us to comment and have some activity on our channel so we can grow it. So I uh, appreciate all your, all your support. So until next time. Happy 4th. See you happy next time. Happy 4th of July.
can't stop the signal now.